Welcome back, my friends, to the Six Overtimes podcast. Chaz Wagner here in New York. Scott Wildermuth in Doylestown, PA. What's up, my friend? Not too much, my man. I'm, uh, I'm recovering from the offensive hangover that was the LSU-Alabama game from last night. Alabama looked so darn good, did they not? Best defense in college football history is what they were saying on the uh, telecast last night, and really hard to argue with that after the effort that they put forward last night. Yeah, the first 13 games we thought it was the uh, the gold and white and purple, but uh, no, it was roll tide roll, as we saw yeah. that last night. Whew. Crazy game. Great, great defensive game. Yeah, good game. Well, uh, yeah, again, coming to you on... Tuesday, January 10th, here at the Six Overtimes podcast. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Six Overtimes. Send us some emails, please do. Sixovertimes at gmail.com. And check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe to us or download an individual episode and listen in about uh, what the happenings are around uh, Big East basketball. So, Scott, we today we want to talk about a couple of the... You know, the constant, the teams around the Big East that have been stable presences and and household names for success and stability in the Big East and talk about their recent struggles. And the two teams that are really struggling are Pitt and Villanova. So we're going to talk about them, Scott, and then we're going to talk about some of these big upsets of from early, the first few weeks of Big East play. Um, some of those upsets have been over Pitt and Villanova. They don't look like upsets anymore, Scott, um, yeah. but, but we'll talk about those. And then we're going to end the uh, podcast today with players, notable players, players that look really, really good, and some players that are just throwing up uh, some duds out there. Yeah, it's been an interesting start to the, uh, to the Big East season, and as you alluded to, there's been a lot of upsets. It's been a roller coaster ride for a lot of these teams, and I think it makes a lot of sense to cover these, and especially Pitt and Villanova, which have been, you know, dare I say, atrocious so far. And these are two teams that have been rock solid in the Big East. So Scott, we got to talk about uh, the team that the panic button is on uh, on red alert. It's been. Uh, it's I, I've I've had my my finger my hands my my ass on it uh, you know it's it's bad is uh, the panic button is going off in uh, in Pittsburgh for uh, the Pitt Panthers this Pitt team has been a rock solid force in the Big East for years Jamie Dixon takes teams to tournaments he takes them to Sweet Sixteens you know almost every other year um, and it, the biggest thing this team is founded on defense. In tough, gritty, knock them out, drag them out defense, and unfortunately, we haven't seen any of that from Pitt this year. They've they've gone away from that one because of the personnel; they just don't have it. And two, it's it's not being executed with with what they got right now, Scott. Yeah, it's been really tough, and and I think it's partly because they lost Kem Birch and. You know, Birch isn't one of those huge, burly guys that was going to take up a lot of space, but he was a guy that Jamie Dixon was penciling in for 20, 25, 30 minutes a game, and now he's got to sort of scramble to figure out who's going to play. And, you know, I think a lot of these guys have shifted out of position, but 
there is no Aaron Gray or Dewan De- Blair on the on this roster this year, and it's a, it's going to be a struggle for them to defend, particularly in the key in the three in the three second area. Yeah, they need that big ball. I mean, Gary McGee, uh, knock them all you want. He intimidated players down low because of uh, you know his looks and his and his play. The guy <laughs> was um, the guy was a force down low. Aaron Gray was obviously Dewan Blair was even going back to uh, Ontario Lett. Um, Dante Taylor just doesn't do it for me or for for other Pitt fans or certainly not for uh, not on the court. He just is not intimidating. He doesn't uh, bring that that really that toughness that uh, Pitt needs. And it's we've seen three Big East losses already from Pitt, and they've they've matched their total um, all of last year in a season that they won the Big East regular season, going 15 and three. And that team last year was number one in team defense. They held their opponents to something like 38 percent shooting, which is that's amazing over an 18-game stretch, and those numbers—they are now at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the Big East on the on the lower quarter of Big East teams in uh, in team defense, and that's where their losses have come. Yeah, it's no good. I mean, it's going to every time that they can't defend a, a guy, it's going to really <laughs> limit their ability to win a game. And, you know, you touched on field goal percentage, but something else that's been horrific is that they've allowed 48 three-pointers in the past couple opponents, to, and Pitt's only shot 20. I mean... Made 20, it, yeah. Made 20. It's it's wild. It's something that we thought was a strength area has become a weakness. Yeah, you would have thought that uh, Ashton Gibbs alone could... could uh, Drop in 20. Could could reach forty eight with uh, with how we've seen him and uh, you know his his play has suffered uh, his defense you know if we're staying on defense that DePaul game where they gave up fifty three points in the second half which is unconscionable um, if you think about it giving up fifty three to DePaul even in a total game um, but Ashton Gibbs guarding Brandon Young. Uh, on that, the, those last few possessions, just let him go in. Um, very easy drives to the hoop, got to the lane, and uh, inexcusable foul, on, especially on that last uh, on that last and one bucket. Brandon Young dropped it, and um, you know before you know it, Pitt is Pitt is zero and three in the in the Big East. Yeah, and and you know I want to get back and move on to something else that we we should talk about is Ashton Gibbs and and. Trey Woodall being hurt, I think, has really hurt Gibbs's production so far this season. Um, you know, I we were just talking about this off the air. This reminds me of when I was a sophomore at Wake, and Justin Gray was supposed to take over the point guard position following Chris Paul's departure. And, you know, Justin Gray was looked at as one of the top 15 players in college basketball with Chris Paul. He was a pure shooter, just like Gibbs. And when he was given the reins as a full, true point guard, it, he, it, the wheels really came off. And he was, you could tell, like, he started pressing for his shots. He was just hoisting. He had a hard time distributing the basketball. And 
you know, because of that, his draft stock really fell and, you know, Wake Forest basketball really, really had a hard time that year. Um, uh, I just, I really hope that Woodall can come back from this injury and because Gibbs is an exceptional player and we all want to see him do well and, and start pouring some threes, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of the analogy to that is, you know, you have a great COO and he, he's great in that role, but then you give him the, give him the spotlight or give him the reins as CEO and he doesn't know what to do or, you got the assistant coach who's been a master recruiter and 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 you know connects with players and everything like that. Give him a head coaching role and it just doesn't work. It's it's like Wade he's, Phillips. Wade Phillips, he's he's a great defensive coordinator, but the yeah. guy is just not made to be uh you know, Ashton Gibbs is not made to be a floor general. Uh I, I think that's clear. Um you know, I wish he had those leadership um you know, a point guard has you need to have leadership um, qualities. He, we've seen it. Uh, he doesn't have it. Uh, he needs to be on the wing. He needs to be coming off screens, and um, it's hurt his offense, obviously, and his defense has, has suffered as well. And the thing that you hate to see is uh, it's it's hurt his NBA draft uh, stock as well. And I hope Anthony will uh, even give us the courtesy and the. Um, to to even cover Ashton Gibbs uh, <laughs> in in our coverage of in, uh, potential NBA players in in the Big East and talk you know as we're talking about guard play Scott there's there's some other guys out there I think guard play is is um, we can critique everything for Pitt but let's let's keep it uh, focused on guard play Cam Wright uh, the fact that he was playing the two guard position with with Woodall out and starting is absolutely un, unthinkable and unfathomable after seeing his play. The guy has absolutely no offensive skills. Not only can he not make a bucket, but he doesn't even want to put the ball on the floor. It, it's like the high school players who just have their head down and want to hot potato get the ball away from them as soon as possible. Yeah, he's really a terrible offensive player, and for him to play a two-guard position, which is supposed to, you know, be a shooting guard, is sort of an oxymoron with this guy, and I just, you're right, I mean, he just, he needs to be out of the game as far as offensive, uh, you know, in their offensive sets, it just hurts their team so much, and especially because they've had trouble scoring the basketball a little bit early on. Yeah, they have, and I would like to see them. J.J. Uh, Moore hasn't been playing as well as uh, we all had thought. Two things, because, one, he's not getting as much playing time, um, and, and two, I think that's attributed to Jamie Dixon having a really short leash on J.J. On Moore. He's one of those guys where when he makes a mistake, uh, you know, Dixon is, is much more willing to pull him out of the game than other people. You always see, there's always that one guy on a team where it's like, this guy shouldn't be going out of the game. He, you know, it, just let him work through these these um, growing pains. He's a, he's only a sophomore, yep. he's super athletic, ton of uh, you know, ton of upside, ton of potential. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't give him more room to uh, to grow and, and feel out his game on the court. Yeah, definitely. And and I think one of the other guys that you'd like to see getting some more minutes is this guy Malcolm Gilbert. Oh yeah. Um what do you think as a Pitt fan, Chaz? What do you think about this guy 
coming in and getting some minutes. I I I, I want it. Bring him in. Uh, Talib Zana and Dante Taylor aren't uh, true big men or don't embody that that Aaron Grayish, Dewan Blairish esque type thing that we're looking for. It's pretty clear that Jamie Dixon wants uh, someone at the center position. He wants someone at the five spot. Uh, I could disagree with that, thinking that he could just go three guards and, and two forwards. You can you can change from how you've done it in the past, Jamie, just like <laughs> other coaches have adapted their games and companies adapt, and we all adapt. Uh, you know, grow with, uh, fit your team, fit your style of play with, with what you got. Um, but if he is is set on playing someone at the five, Malcolm Gilbert, the biggest thing he can give you is fouls and a big body down low. Just let him go in there and, and hack the hell out of uh, out of Fab Mello and Andre Drummond, who aren't going to make their free throws. Um, he's not going to score much. Uh, but you don't need that necessarily. You don't need that, and and maybe he he uh, has those guards, the, the Malik Wayans and the Peyton Sivas. Maybe second guess themselves and say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it out here on the perimeter, and uh, you know not not drive the lane because that that big dude's down low. Speaking of uh, Malik Wayans, I think we should uh, move on and talk about a little Villanova struggles early on. Let's. You know, there, it's sort of funny because there are so many parallels between these two teams. Um, I think Jay Wright came into coach a couple of years before. I, I think he's been there for about 10 seasons now or 11 seasons, and he's made the postseason every single time he's been a coach. However, the first couple of years uh, from 01 to 04, he was in the uh, NIT, whereas Dixon made the NCAA tourney every year. Um, you know, and they made a Final Four. They made a ton of Sweet 16s as well, and you know now now they're 8 and 8 and it's ugly down in on the main line in in Philadelphia it, it's 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 the same thing like i feel like you pinpointed a couple of things with Pitt but and we'll talk about a little some of the things that i think about why nova's struggling but i can't pinpoint it and it's it's really it's really hard for a fan to watch of college basketball, much less a Nova fan. It, it is hard to watch, and we've become so accustomed to Jay Wright figuring it out. Uh, either he has it figured out early in the year, or he figures it out as, as January and February and Big East play plays out. Scott, my question is, you know, this isn't that young of a team. It doesn't. No. Have, it's not that they lack experience, um, especially in... You see the Kentuckys and the Dukes uh, with Austin Rivers and Anthony Davises. Those guys are doing just fine. I mean, Wayans is a junior now. Cheek is a junior now. Yaru is a sophomore. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. These guys have, have been around the block. Uh, so what they have, they have enough experience to get by. Uh, you know, losing to game, losing to seventeen to South Florida. Totally Rolls. inexcusable. One putting up fifty-seven on South Florida, who I don't—I'm not impressed with their defense at all. And then the other thing is allowing seventy-four points on on the other side of the coin, allowing seventy-four points uh, to South Florida. Those yeah, types, those types of things. 
Yeah, and I think that their defense has just been absolutely terrible so far. And I'd like to say that they lack an interior presence like Pitt has, but Yaru's played decent defense. And, you know, I don't think he's the shot blocker that Drummond is or the intimidating presence that Fab Mello is, but he's a big guy down there and he, he takes up space. What I think is happening is that or and the numbers sort of back this up is that they're shooting so terribly from three point line when they when they end up losing games. I mean, just to look at a couple of them, like against West Virginia, they go three for fourteen from the line. Against uh, Marquette in a loss, they go three of seventeen from the line. Against USF, they go four of twenty from the line. In a couple of the games early on in the non-conference, they're going, you know, very similar. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Give me a second. Four of twenty the USF. Yeah, against St. Joe's, they went five of twenty-seven from the three-point line, and you know, I think this is something that we talked about earlier. It's they're a jump-shooting team, so inherently they're going to be really inconsistent because they're not getting enough guard dribble penetration getting to the rim and they're settling for long jumpers yeah jumps we didn't say they're a good jump shooting team we just state the (laughs) fact that they attempt jump shots yeah exactly they shoot the ball (laughs) yeah i it's not jump shots it's they're chucky they are uh shot chuckers chucker uppers uh, I saw a couple of the ugliest threes I've ever seen in college basketball from Hilliard. Um, I think in that USF game where he just airballed one from the corner and then the next one, it wasn't even close. It was, it, they are not a good jump shooting team. And, and Jay Wright, just those numbers alone, us as, as pedestrian fans, I you when you put up five for twenty seven and four for twenty and, and the beat goes on, how do you expect to to win and even compete in in the Big East where it's physical play it's it's getting to I think when you are a bad three point shooting team it shows that you're not getting to the line and you're not drawing contact and you're not penetrating um, either yep. the guards that mid range jumper. My dad's always said it, and I agree with him, is the mid-range jumper has um, has gone away in, in college basketball. Guys either want to be this three-point J.J. Redick just bombs away, or they want to be dunking down low and taking it to the rim. Nobody has the discipline to pull up from mid-range, and I think you don't see that with Waynes and Cheek. I mean, those guys just sit they out chuck. 22, 23, 24 feet out there. Yeah, and, you know, that's why that they're 198th overall in the NCAA right now in field goal percentage. They're not getting to the rim, and, you know, it's that's why they're losing games. They're not taking high uh, percentage shots. And, uh, Chaz, do you think that there's a way that they can really combat um, these inefficiencies like we were talking about with Pitt? Well... It was nice to see them win against DePaul on Sunday. Nice to yeah. see them, them put up some points. But when they turn the ball over 28 times, <laughs> that's sloppy, and that's what they got to do in their wins. Uh, 
I, I, I can't say I have much confidence in these guys. Uh, NIT bid, uh, you know. It's in jeopardy. At best, uh, certainly not NCAA, and uh, they're just not efficient. Uh, they're not efficient enough on the offensive end, and I don't think they're tough enough, you know, and really, you know, grind and will, will play that really nasty, tough defense that they need to play. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. What do you think they got to do to uh, turn around and, and at least make it a respectable season and give some hope and momentum going into uh, going into next year? Yeah, I, I think you're, you know, going back to what you just said, Chaz. I, I think you're right. It's they're going to have a tough time getting into the postseason. Um, but in order to get there, I really think that they got to do some stuff like. Make sure over dribble penetrate for from the guards to free up some of those uh, pa- some of those open shots from the outside. Like we were talking with Pitt, if you don't have a big guy, the defense collapse collapses, and you have the open shots from long range. Um, I also think you got to get the ball to Yaru more and more and more just to make sure that the defense isn't sitting around the three point line. And then the other thing is, why don't they try to get a couple easy buckets? Let's let's get a press going on and get a couple of turnovers and and transition buckets. Then maybe that will you know open up some uh, some good stuff for the shooting players. You know they always talk about those streaks. They just they need a bucket, um, and maybe that they can do it if they can get a coast to coast layup or something. Yeah, you're all about the over. I remember. Uh... Earlier in the year, you were all about their over-athleting the team. And yeah. In this case, they need to overfeed Yuru. I totally agree with you on that point. And and over-dribble penetrate, or however you used it, is yeah, get get uh, get in the lane, either pull up or or, or dish um dish to to one of the big men. So I think we've we've beaten it to death on on the problems of Pitt and Villanova, and we've come up with possible solutions or remedies, but. Do we really know, Scott? Do we really know what we're talking about? Nope. No, we have no idea. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, actual games, fun games, upset games, uh, games that I was glued to the TV. I really enjoyed watching and what makes uh, the podcast fun and the college basketball season really awesome and uh, makes you, uh, once your team gets ousted from the playoffs, it's a little easier to get through the uh January and February months. So let's start with, what do you want to start with? Rutgers and UConn? I think that was a pretty good Saturday night uh, affair. Yeah, I think we should talk about that. Um, you know, there's no Ben Roethlisberger here. Oh, oh sorry, I just no. need to throw that stab in there. No Big Ben. Well, Rutgers, <laughs> the I'd say they're the most bipolar, schizophrenic, uh, up and down roller coaster uh, team that we've seen in quite some time. Make yeah. it fun. They beat UConn 67-60. to um, I didn't think their win against uh, Florida a few weeks ago when Mike Rosario came back to the rack. I didn't think it could get uh, any more enjoyable to watch uh, to watch Rutgers play and these, these freshmen, uh, you know, just got it out against a better, more talented team than them. But we saw it on Saturday night. Um, Eli Carter continues to be the scoring guy. Uh, he is emerging as everyone thought it was going to be Miles Mascot, but Eli 
Put up, uh, put up 19 points, big buckets all around. Uh, not, not the 31 points in the the monstrous, monstrous game that uh, <laughs> he had against the Gators, but he he is the guy. But it, this game was really a a team effort. Um, you know, you saw Mike Pohl, you saw Randall, Miles Mack hit some big threes in the second half. Um, it's starting to all come together. Yeah, you know, you say that. Uh we thought that it was going to be Miles Mack being the main contributor for this team, but, you know, he dropped in 14, and between him and Carter, they had 33 of the 67 that they put in, and uh, between those two guys, I, I think uh, Calhoun said it, or, um, uh, yeah, I think it was Calhoun that said that they got outplayed in the backcourt for this game, and those two guys played really well, and, you know, Jeremy Lamb did not play very well. He only had eight points on four of nine shooting, and they really shut him down. And that's the first time Lamb's not scored in double figures all season long. Yeah, he's been consistent all the way through. You talked about Calhoun. It wasn't. It wasn't George. You were a little confused. It wasn't George Blaney that said it because this was uh, this was Calhoun's first game back from suspension. Yeah. You thought that oh they'll get they'll get Calhoun back they'll they'll have their their main coach in there and and they'll turn things around but uh, wasn't the case um, other thing pretty interesting note from this game we'll bring it up now before before I forget it once we talk about the Seton Hall game is this is the first time since 1969 Scott that Rutgers and Seton Hall both New Jersey Big East teams have taken down the Huskies. That's incredible. And I, I don't think back then in the 70s and 80s these teams were playing each other that much. But since Rutgers joined the Big East, uh, you know, no way, as, as the numbers tell us, that uh, the Huskies have dominated these teams and basically everyone across across the conference. So really good to see um, from from both Rutgers and Seton Hall. So let's, that transitions us into the... The Pirates' big win at the Rock over over UConn. Yeah, they beat UConn by a dozen, and it was sort of more the same formula that Rutgers used, um, except they didn't really stop Lamb. They stopped Shabazz Napier, who really had an awful game. Uh, he had six points on, you know, he took 12 shots. That's not going to do it. And he turned the ball over five times, so... You know, once again, this really talented backcourt of UConn really let down their team, and and that's sort of why that they lost in both instances. Do you think you know that it was the shutdown Shabazz campaign, Shabazz Napier? Do you think it was a concerted effort to shut him down, or it was it was one of those just he he didn't have a good night, and it was just really good play from. Cosby and and the foo foo and and all the stuff there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it was a concerted effort to take Shabazz down. I read somewhere where Theodore, I think, was quoted saying that they knew that Lamb was going to get his, so let's take away Shabazz. And they did a hell of a job if that was the game plan. Yeah, so that that's interesting. You know, Lamb. Uh, yeah, you know, those those certain players, Lamb. And guys in the NBA, Kobe and uh, and Durant, they're going to put up their numbers, just try and s- shut down those second and 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 third options. Um, Fu, believe it or not, uh, you know Fuquan was everywhere. Even Jay Billis 
I don't know if he's been watching throughout the year. This is one of the first games that he he's watched. But he tweeted out that this guy is an, an amazing defender. Tips, deflections, altering you know the passing lanes, this and that. And we've been saying that for for months now. And uh, we we spotted that uh, early on. But he actually had his first career double with 12, uh, 12 points and, and 11 boards. So really good to see him uh, notch that the 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 Herb Pope uh, yeah. stat line. The Herb Pope special, yeah. Fuquan is he's long, you know, and he causes problems with whoever he's guarding. He, if it's a three or a two or a four or whatever, it uh he he gets his hand in the lanes, and it's it's pretty good to see and. Like you said, we've sort of been watching it all season long, and you know that's sort of why I like watching the Seton Hall team. Fuquan makes it exciting. He does make it exciting. And there was a what made it exciting too. Scott was the storyline leading up to the game on Andre Drummond calling out, uh, or not calling him out, but uh, uh, calling who he was. He said, "Who's her Pope?" When he was asked in the, <laughs> in the pregame. And no big deal. The guy's the second leading scorer and the third or fourth best rebounder in the conference. No, no whoop. <laughs> and uh, Drummond was benched in the second half, put up some some measly numbers, and Herbie rose the occasion and, and completely shut down the uh, the stud freshman. And maybe even that's the reason why he's he's coming back for a, a sophomore campaign that he realizes that. Uh, can't be calling out these these senior big men in the Big East. Yeah, that I think his youth was really shown when he uh, when he said that, and you know he'll get better and more polished at the uh, podium when he's when he's doing that. But yeah, that's it's unbelievable that not only has he not followed it, but you would think that they watch some sort of game tape of the team that they're going to play, and he would have some idea or. I can't believe that he would be that, um, I guess, in your face about just not respecting her Pope at all. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he definitely. Uh, it's it's um, more than ignorance. I would I would put it at that. Yeah. So well, moving on from this yeah. game, let's go with another. See, we call these upsets. We call them uh, games that we you know we're, we're surprised by. And this game was Notre Dame over Louisville. Double overtime. Um, struggle with scoring here, but the Irish pulled it out 67-65 to at the KFC Yum Center. You know, for all we know, Scott, this could this could turn out to uh, not be an upset later in the year. Notre Dame could uh, be a surprise team and, and really come out on top. But interesting line from this, and it was beat up by the announcers on the on the telecast was this is the first win in uh the state of Kentucky for the Fighting Irish in over 30 years wow yeah that's that's wild it's you know not totally surprising because there have been great teams in the state of Kentucky for a very long time but you know like we've been saying with uh Seton Hall and Rutgers playing a bunch of games against UConn you think that Notre Dame would have stolen one in Louisville at some point during Big East play? Yeah, you would have thought. And, and uh, I guess we had to, they had to go back all the way to the the Digger Phelps days to <laughs> uh, to when they were they were a really really good team that could go on the road. Something um, with the highlighter. With the highlighter, he's still rocking it. Well, yeah. these Mike Mike Bray teams, um, he he's really owned and uh, you know done really well against uh, against Louisville. In years past, um, 
you know, our boy Jack Cooley, you brought it up earlier. He he came to play. Uh, 18 and 10, completely dominated Dang on on both sides of the ball. This guy's got more moves and and more. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe we didn't give him credit early in the year because we didn't see see enough of his game. But uh, it's really turning into be a nice uh, a nice. He's like this. You're probably the second best player on on the Irish after um, after Atkins. Yeah, he's cool. He's been unbelievably. Uh, I, I just I didn't see it in the early games that we were watching, and you know when he had that big game against Maine, I was sort of just scoffing at the idea that he's going to have a good season, and he's been incredible so far. He's rebounding the ball. He's been active. He's really stepped up as a leader, and I I've been very impressed with Jack Cooley so far this season. Yeah, he's he's been good, and and some. But you would have thought that talking about the post and the interior play, Scott, is it was kind of alarming for Patino late in the game and in the second half to not go to Dang and Chain Behenen because I think those guys have the talent and I think they could have gotten theirs and, and gotten their points down low, but they opted to go with the the Siva play where he just dribbles in circles and. They end up taking bad shots, or if they even get a shot off at all, and it's like key the circus music, do 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 do, just round yeah. and round and round. <laughs> and what do you think? Do you think it's uh, they should have gone down low, or is, is Jack Coley that uh, he he was gonna dominate and and hold him back no matter what? Yeah, I mean, I think you get more options when you have the ball in Siva's hands, and I know that that's sort of weird to say, considering that Siva hasn't had that great of a year so far. Um, and I don't know if Dang and, and Bahannon are that polished where you can really just drop it down to them on the block. I think they're more of like these guys who can create their own shot and be a little bit more athletic and get to the rim, but in a set play, I don't know if they're going to be that great down the down the uh down the end of the game, whereas Siva can create for those two guys and uh, and Kirk as well. Yeah, and in the shots, um, Russ Smith didn't have a good game, but as we saw in the Kentucky game, he he can explode and go for go for big numbers. He put up thirty against the Wildcats. He's a guy that I think would be okay. I'm a, he's one of those guys where he can shoot and shoot and shoot, and I think he's going to start hitting him at some point in this game. I think he only had three points. So I don't think they utilized him as uh, as, as much as they should have because maybe he wasn't firing and, and hitting early on or clicking. So he's one of those guys where just let him, like Kobe, just let him keep shooting and keep shooting and keep shooting. It's, it's going to come at some point. But um, Definitely. Another game, Scott, um, the last upset that we want to talk about where there was a lot of shooting, but uh, didn't translate into buckets or points. And that was St. John's pulling out an ugly game for 38 minutes, uh, 57 to 55. They beat yeah. the Cincinnati Bearcats um, at Fifth Third Arena in Cincinnati. But the last two minutes of the game, I, I got to say, it was uh, it was a hell of a finish. Oh, certainly, and and you know what? It's it was it was a crazy bad defense on Sean Kilpatrick's, uh, you know, on his shoulders not being able to box out Mo Harkless. Crazy. Yeah, he, uh, you know, uh, D'Angelo Harrison. Uh, for those that didn't watch, D'Angelo Harrison drove the the baseline with 
three, four seconds left. They inbounded the ball. Harrison yep. was the one to take the last shot. Harrison, it, it uh, came off the rim, and Harkless was right under the basket, and he is probably, God's gift can, can make a bucket here and there, but Harkless had, had 13 rebounds up to that point. Added for his 14th rebound, put the, the put back, and um, made a buzzer beater to, to, to go up by two, and when I was watching, it was probably the most anticlimactic and and uh, <laughs> non-eventful. When you make a bucket like that at the, at the finish, yeah, they were on the road, so they don't have their 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 hometown and their fans there. But it was just nothing. The announcers didn't. It was it was John Celestan and some other guy. Not much coming from their end, and I'm like, okay, they just won a really thrilling finish. But okay, it's over. Yeah, it's like. Does anyone care that St. John's wins? You know who cares? The six overtimes cares. That's what I'm talking about. We do. I'm fired up. So you know, St. John's is is two and two in the Big East. What do you what do you see coming for? Can can this last? Can the thin bench? Can the inexperience? Can the um, kind of that schizophrenia and bipolarness of that we see from Rutgers and and it, we see it a little bit in St. John's? Can that can they go 500 in the Big East? My initial thought was to say that they were going to lose 14 straight. Um, but I, I, you know, I think Mo Harkless can take over a game, and if D'Angelo Harrison has a couple nice shooting shooting games, and which he's capable of doing, I really think that they can steal a couple more wins like this. And I, I think that we're going to see St. John's be a little bit more of that schizophrenic Rutgers team because they're inconsistent, but they do have talent. So when you get a letdown game almost from one of these teams, like you were saying Pitt going into uh, Rutgers, it's usually just an automatic W. Mm-hmm. You know, if a team looks at St. John's like that this year, I think St. John's can surprise some some folks. Yeah, we've seen, and, and that's what that was one of the themes of of uh, today's podcast was these upsets, and I think we're seeing this, Scott, because these bottom teams and these do- traditional doormat teams and kind of the lower third or that uh, C or D group that we've we've classified them as, they have talent. Um, it's young, and they're gonna have these inconsistent games where Rutgers goes down to South Florida and loses after a thrilling victory over Florida. And they go and get blown out by West Virginia and don't look good. But uh, I think it's a theme that we're going to see across the Big East. And I think you uh, you talked about it before we came on, and let's talk about it now because that's what we a good podcast team would do, is I think the Big East this year is a microcosm of all of college basketball. Maybe not as much yeah. this year, but... The last several years, the Butlers, the Murray States, the Creightons, everything like that, where the overall, the comprehensive and overall talent of the league and across the landscape has been lifted. Syracuse is the dominant team. There's no doubt about that. That's that's a debate we don't have. To have. After that, anyone can beat anyone. It's going to be a, a all-out marathon, as, as Patino said in his press conference yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that we were talking about before we jumped on was there are really only a couple elite teams across the uh, across the landscape of college basketball, and one of them is Syracuse. But 
you know, we see all these we see all these teams losing questionable games, and I think we're going to continue to see it. I think we're going to see a lot of these USF stealing wins against, you know, at Notre Dame or, you know, we're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff throughout the season. And I think parody makes for good, uh, good television and definitely for, for good bubble watching experiences. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what happens the rest of the way. It also makes for good podcasting. Oh, yeah. And good and really difficult betting though. So yeah. you need to watch the games. Good at good TV entertainment. It makes for exciting stuff, and then we we turn it into excellent podcasting. Exactly. And exactly. Somewhat questionable betting. So let's. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of what we wanted to impart you with on on what's been going on in the games and kind of the um, themes of of the first few weeks. So the few. There's a few players out there that we want to talk about that are helping or hurting their teams. The good players that I see, number one, I am uh, man-crushing, whatever you want to call it, on Eli Carter. Yeah, I think man-crush is the uh, is the adjective. It's got to be it. Um, verb it. It's, it's, or mean, verb, yeah. Verb, noun, however. It's, uh, it's, it's a good thing. We like the guy a lot, the kid. He almost didn't even get an offer to to Rutgers by Mike Rice. There was another guy that I think they were waiting on, and it all came together. The book of Eli has landed in uh, on the Raritan, and uh, he's lifting. He's brought this, um, you know, he's brought this message and this, uh, it's great things to to Rutgers for all these freshmen. And there's, you know, he he's he's going to have some in, inconsistent games, just like the rest of his teammates, but. Uh, this guy sticks around all four years. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a hell of a time watching him. Yeah, he's been crushing, especially in the last four games. He's averaging twenty three points, and you know we said this in the beginning when we started doing these podcasts. We're just waiting for Big East play, and I guess Eli Carter was thinking the same thing. He was he was waiting. That was his time to shine. He didn't like those Princeton games, Dartmouth, NJIT. That that those were too. Uh, Cupcakeish for him. He wants yeah. he wants the Yukons and the Floridas of the world. Yeah, exactly. And he just went in and killed. And you know, he's the other thing that's nice is that he's not turning the ball over too too much. And you love seeing that out of a freshman guard that's handling the ball a ton. And I was really impressed with his uh, post game interview uh, that I saw after they beat UConn and. You know, he's just very poised, even even when he's talking. You know, he's poised on the court, too. But I was just impressed with his maturity, and I, I think that we're going to see him uh, really develop into a great player for years to come. That's an interesting point, Scott, because he he wasn't a huge recruit coming into uh, Rutgers or, or being looked at by other schools, and you can't really define that in high school and when the or you can't really predict that from high school to college and he's probably one of these kids as you saw in the press conference and and actually his poise on the court that he just doesn't get rattled Um, other guys miles mack might be he was probably more talented and looked better in gyms in aau games in these camps all across the country but for whatever reason they get to college in their first year or even their first few years it doesn't translate because they're nervous, they're rattled, they, they're not comfortable. But this kid just, he the game, I wouldn't say it's slowed down for him, but it hasn't picked up for him. 
Definitely. And let's talk about, uh, we've talked about Jack Cooley a bunch, but he's another guy that's been really impressive. So, uh, let's, let's just chat a little bit about him. Um, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I was dead wrong. And, uh, he's been really impressive. What do, what do you, what are your takeaways, Chaz, from, uh, Jack Cooley so far? Well, I respect your humility and your standing up to, uh, your wrongs made before. Along yeah. With, along with your betting. Sometimes uh, you got to. Your betting mishaps as well. It's uh, it's all coming out. Your your true character. It's good. <laughs> but Cooley, he's putting up the points, which which I uh, which you gotta like, and that's what a kind of a non-educated fan or you know that's the easiest thing to to uh, look at. But his rebounding uh, down low and the ability to bang down low and hang with some of these um, you know bigger bodies. Down low has been what has impressed has impressed me. Um, he's reached, you know, he's gone for 14 rebounds against uh, against Pitt. Then he had 11 against uh, Cincinnati and had 10 against uh, Louisville. And yeah. and these are no, um, you know, Pitt. I've I've harped on their lack of a of a true big man. So that's not saying much. But Yancey Gates was back for Cincinnati and he was doing. Uh, the good rebounding against Dang and, and Behannon. So it's nice to see him hitting the glass. Yeah, and I just feel like he's always around the basketball too, you know, making those hustle plays and getting the loose balls. And I I, I just, yep, I'm taking it on the chin. I was totally wrong, and uh, I look forward to watching Jack Cooley the rest of the way and continue to be impressive. Let's chat a little bit about uh, Chuck Bryant, another guy that I believe you said on this podcast would be one of the player or the worst players of the week uh, several times this year. Yeah, I thought it was going to be in uh, perpetuity. Just get yeah. the he would have his own award, and then we would have a uh, rotating one for for other people. Good for this guy. Uh, he gets he's like a lightning rod in uh in Morgantown and he he's he's really played amazing the last uh the last several weeks since the start of play um the Villanova game he he killed it 34 yeah. points um the Rutgers win where uh Rec- Rutgers dropped an egg after after beating Florida he put up 29 he did struggle last night, Scott. Uh, we we tend to jinx him at times, and as we jinx other players, yeah. He struggled against uh, against UConn last night with only with only eight points. But you know he's really um, he's really found a shot. Um, we know we knew he was athletic all along, and he was strong, and he's he can get to the the, the hole. Unlike many point guards, um, like like Wayne's can't get to the lane. Um, you know Gibbs hasn't been yet to the hasn't been able to get to the lane, but Truck Bryant knows that's his, um, you know, knows that's one of his advantages, and I think... He's a moneymaker. Yeah, I think Bobby Huggins has said, use that to your advantage, and he's doing that. Yeah, he's been extremely impressive. I mean, he's put up 25-plus points in three out of the last five games. You know, and he's getting to the line, too, and, and that's sort of what I look for when you look at these guys to see if they're like shot our points per shot is high. So, you know, like he 
took 13 shots against Rutgers for 29 points. I mean, that's, what, 2.2 points per shot. That's pretty impressive. So he's been great so far, and I think that that's one of the reasons why West Virginia has been pretty, you know, consistent with their play so far. And, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's setting them up for. I mean, they're they've got an NCAA bid in in my mind. I haven't looked at looked at Lenardi's uh, projections, but I, you got to you got to pencil and pencil them in right now. On the bad side, we're gonna stick with a very guard oriented um, segment here. Guards that are struggling. Uh, I got to start with Vanderblue. Was really impressed with him. Uh, I I think it's being reversed. We were very impressed with Vanderblue. In yep. the early going, Scott, but for whatever reason, he's he's lost that uh, that tenacity and has is really looked kind of um, non-assertive out there. On, on skittish, was, almost skittish. Yeah. He was really pushing it early on, and he's tended to. Uh, he looks a little um, little timid out there. Yeah, and it's it shows and it reflects in his point totals. I mean, he's not scored in double figures the last four games. Um, I would say. You know, we're trying to figure out why Marquette has had such a slow start to the Big East schedule. And, you know, it might not necessarily be Vanderblue, but he's not helping the cause so far. And it's it's tough to watch when you got this guy who was so impressive, athletically speaking, early on. And these guys looked – Marquette looked unbeatable, you know, in the non-conference. And now – you know, they lose a couple of games in Big East play. Vander Blue's not playing exceptionally well. And now we're in a spot where, you know, they might they might be playing on Tuesday. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't have thought that after that crazy game in the Garden where Marquette looked amazing and, and some of those other crushing victories early in the year. Another, another player, another team that uh, we were very impressed with to start the year, and had so much momentum heading into Big East play in the start of 2012 was Louisville and their guard, uh, Peyton Siva. He did have an ankle injury early on, Scott, but I think the thing that has really, his his scoring has suffered because of that. And yep. he, he relies upon quickness and getting up and down the floor, um, you know, really quick, getting, you know, getting those quick buckets. I've What I've seen from is on the fast break, um, especially... Is where he's he's looked out of control and and not really um, not really poised. He just you know r- you know drives in there with without much uh, sense of direction and control. And I think that's uh, more than the half court offense is where I've really seen his his game slip. Yeah, and it's sort of frustrating as a as Louisville Cardinal fans are you know, probably going through is this was Siva's year that was supposed to be a little bit more mentally tough and he was supposed to make that step where he wasn't out of control all the time and he was more controlled and running the offense a little bit better and still doing what he does best, which is run as fast as you can and get to the bucket. I haven't seen that step where he's he's went from good to great, mm-hmm. and I, I think a lot of people expected it, and it hasn't really came to fruition. And it's tough when he's dropping in, you know, less than ten points in the last couple of games. His game against Kentucky, where he goes two for thirteen, mm-hmm. you know, he he was the one with the ball at the end of the Notre Dame game, and he sort of just ran into uh, Cooley, I think, down low. Mm-hmm. 
in double overtime and couldn't tie the game up and he still turned the ball over a ton and he fouled out against St. John's and it's just ugly. Yeah, it's not pretty. Uh when you said good to great, you you would have thought that he was going to emerge into the Edgar Sosa and Garcia and some of those other Louisville guards that have really uh come their junior and senior year is when they're in uh you know another kind of an elite class and Hitting those huge buckets, um, it, it's easy to hit them in the first half and, and uh, the early going of the second half, but it's those last five minutes when uh, when you want Peyton Siva. I think every Louisville fan to start the year would have said, we want the ball in Peyton Siva's hand to uh, to uh, seal out a victory, and, and it's just not, uh, not really happening so far. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating. So... I think we, we did a nice little job here of uh, giving you guys some good players, some bad players. You know, the theme of upsets have, you know, started off with a bang so far in the Big East play. I really think that that's going to continue as far as the uh, as the year goes on. And, you know, I think we, we had a nice look at what Villanova and Pitt has done so far and why these two teams who have been so great for so long, at least for this you know past eleven years or so, uh, why they're struggling and what what they can do to get back on the horse and hopefully put together a run and get into the NCAA tournament or you know make some noise in the Big East tournament. So, what do you think? Do you have any closing uh, closing thoughts there, Chaz? Uh, I I hope you're patting yourself on the back just like I'm patting myself on the back here and. Here in New York. Oh yeah, we did. A, That's did a, my long-winded pat on the back was just the last thirty seconds. Did a fine job. Uh, teams <laughs> have teams have down years. North Carolina in the Matt Doherty years. Uh, Coach K has had a, a few here and there with early exits. Uh, I mean, at least they made the tournament. Syracuse went to the NIT in uh, back-to-back years, oh seven and oh eight. Uh, Steelers in the nineteen eighties. Steelers in the 80s, the end of, you know, in the late <laughs> 90s, the Cordell, the Cordell years. Oof. So Pitt and Louisville are going to have these these years. It's uh, it's whether they continue. Pitt and Nova. Pitt and Nova. Who the hell did I say? <laughs> Louisville. But. Pitt, Pitt and Louisville. Hopefully it's not uh, not foreshadowing. Yeah, right. Um, but, yeah, Pitt and, I wanted to say it again, Pitt and Villanova, <laughs> they... It's whether it continues. Is it a harbinger? Is, is the Jamie Dixon um, uh, honeymoon or, you know, his success is, is you know, and these guys kind of came in at the same time. Jamie Dixon and uh, Jay Wright. They've been nothing but good. Uh, it's it's annoying as, as, as piss or we can bleep that out or whatever you want to call it that <laughs> on these message boards and blogs that fans are calling for, um, you know, it's time to go. Time to go. He's he's done a good job, but uh, he just doesn't fit the current state of college basketball and the Get demand the hell out of here. and what we need. And, and uh, Jamie Dixon hasn't been to a uh, a Final Four yet. It took uh, you know it it took guys. It took Calhoun. It took Bayheim. It took Dean Smith. It took Roy Williams, uh, Coach K. It took guys years to do that. It took Bayheim twenty seven years to win a title. So relax. Um, I think the um, immature sports fans 
it's the short they deal in the short term they don't look long term i think people that have a long term view can take a step back and look at the macro uh view yep. of things understand that these are guys that there's no better option than Jay Wright at Villanova and Jamie Dixon at at Pitt definitely and uh like you mentioned uh, like Chaz mentioned in the uh in the open you know you guys can hit us up on twitter at six overtimes Email us what you're thinking about so we can uh, play it on the air uh, at sixovertimes at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we're probably going to come back at you Thursday or Friday, so stay tuned for that installment of the Six Overtimes podcast. For my esteemed colleague, Chaz Wagner, I am Scott Wildermuth, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.